You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. We pray this in Jesus' name. If you agree, you can say amen. Amen. Leave it to a phone to speak, huh? Eh? Eh? So yeah, it's, just, it's the world we live in. So yeah, that's a good reminder. <laughs> Anyways, uh, hey, you may not be aware of this. You may probably aren't aware of this, but this past week uh, was um, our 19th birthday as Hope Bible Church. Just so you, uh, I know that. We turned 19, amen. We're excited for that. Amen. And uh, maybe just take a moment and you can just turn to somebody's side and say, hey, happy birthday, happy birthday. Go ahead, say something. Happy birthday, happy birthday. Happy birthday, happy birthday. Let's go. Happy birthday. 19 years old. Whatever that means, 19 years old. Hey, uh, and just so you're aware too that um, like as of next month, it'll be 20 years since our core group started for the first time. A few people got together with a dream and vision of seeing a church like this. And to look back, it's, it's, uh, it's humbling. Uh, my wife and I were part of that from the very beginning. There was a few couples and then that joined into a, a launch team uh, in June of 03. And, and what a ride, what a ride. And that comes with, of course, joys and sorrows and victory and pain. Comes with highs and lows for sure, but it comes with God's grace. So we're super thankful for that. It's a lot of perspective, a lot more gray hair, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of wonderful memories as well. And they're excited to, even next year, maybe we do something a little bigger for our 20th, Lord willing. And... Um, Give God glory for that as well. I also want you to be really encouraged by that uh, today, for the first time officially, um, our uh, campus in Orangeville has launched. And so we're very excited for a group of people, some around 50 strong that are meeting. Yeah, let's clap for them. And they're watching right now. So let's clap for them. Woo! Amen. Love you all in Orangeville. So glad you're gathering in this way at this time right, right, right now. And they'll be continuing to do so. Again, the prayer and desire for them is they would uh, be able to find, have a pastor join them and become an autonomous church sometime in the future as well. But for now, this is where we're starting. And so we're so glad and make sure you're uh, being reminded of that and can pray for them as they do so uh, as well. All right, who's got a Bible today? Let's open it to James chapter four. James chapter four is where we're gonna be. We got probably, Lord willing, a month and a half left in this series in James. Take us to the end of May. And um, excited about that. Again, things can change, but that's what we're planning on right now. Uh, James 4. And today, we are gonna talk about the subject of worldliness. Worldliness. You're like, why would you do that? Because the Bible does. Uh, that's that's kind of how it goes around here. Uh, we say what the Bible says. And so the Bible is talking about worldliness. That means we're going to talk about worldliness today as, as well. Um, just by way of a little bit of disclaimer too, the first half of this, again, we're just saying what God says, but the first half is a little bit heavy hitting, okay? A little bit heavy hitting. The second half comes and a lot of, a lot of grace. And that's, that, that's the way it works though. That's called discipleship. That's called the pathway uh, to walking with Christ. We need truth and grace. And um, that's what love does as well. And so we're going to follow that uh, as God does well. So worldliness, is worldliness something, I'm going to ask you this question, worldliness something you've thought a lot about? How would you define worldliness, I wonder? Is that something you have defined or, or maybe you can define? Again, is it something you thought a lot about? Here's a good question. Is worldliness something that concerns you? Are you concerned in the sense of, are you aware that the Bible teaches that, that worldliness is something that actually harm us, that can actually ruin our lives? Ruin our, our life, our, our closest relationships, our marriage, our family, our church. Totally ruin our lives. Are you aware 
of the impact and danger of worldliness? Well, one thing for sure is James, the author of our letter here, he's, he's very concerned and very aware of worldliness. And, and in fact, uh, our pivotal verse today uh, by James, of course, by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible through human authors. And the pivotal verse really today is when James says this, hey, if you're a friend or you're a lover of the world, then that automatically makes you an enemy of God. You're like, whoa, what, what? Well, that's, I just got real, man. And, but that's what he says. He says, hey, if you, if you love the world, if you're a friend of the world, then you can't also be a friend and true lover of God. It's kind of one or the other. And so he just kind of puts that out there and we'll get to there in just a minute. But again, that just, it just hits home right away to say, man, it's a choice in Christ. It's, it's, it's one or the other. Now the Bible has much to say about worldliness and its dangers. For example, worldliness is a, the Bible teaches us, is a sure sign of spiritual immaturity. Uh, worldliness conveys we lack love for God. Don't love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. We love the world in ways that we should not. The uh, Bible teaches us that worldliness is a great source of division, distraction, and the destruction of relationships and lives. The Bible teaches us that worldliness uh, is the opposite of godliness. Interesting. It's the opposite of true godliness. Uh, the Bible teaches that worldliness is the rotten fruit of foolishness. Worldliness stems from a sinful love of self. It is the path of the enemy. It's the path of Satan and is one of the greatest quenchers of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But apart from that, worldliness is amazing. So our, our bottom line today, worldliness is not amazing for anyone who just woke up, okay? It is not amazing. Here's our big idea today. Here's our propositional statement. Here's our thesis. This is the whole point of what God's Word is teaching us today. Sometimes I like to just spell it out. Because worldliness is so destructive to the heart and so damaging to our lives, we must fight against it at all costs. Okay, this is, this is not what I'm trying to say to you today. This is what the Bible's saying to you today. My job is just to be the messenger. Okay, because worldliness is so severe and destructive to our hearts and lives, then we must fight against worldliness at all costs. And we must be aware of what it is and what it's trying to do against us. Okay, so Thence, uh, hence our sermon title today is How to Fight Against Worldliness. You need to care, you need to want to do that, you need to be aware that we're in such a fight. How to fight against worldliness, and today, through God's word, is another immense dose of wisdom. Like it really is, there are some things today that I find are just so important for our entire lives and really defining you know, phrases as to if we go this direction or that direction. We'll see today a few of them, and I'll try to point them out as clear as I can as we get there. So immense wisdom from God's word, James 4, verse 1. Uh, look at it with me. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. Wow. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, exclamation mark. Told you a little heavy at the beginning. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Then verse six, uh, but he gives more grace. Amen, church? But he, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, 
but gives grace to the humble. All right, let's get after it today. How do I fight against worldliness? Again, I need to care. I need to be aware. I need to cover it in prayer. Anything else that rhymes with those words as well, okay? Point number one is this. Um, I must recognize the war within. If I'm going to fight against worldliness, i got to wake up and realize I'm at war. Number one thing I have to be aware of. So look at, look at verse one. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Now, remember our context for James 4 obviously stems from James chapter 3. Now, James 3 we looked at two weeks ago. I know we forget things quickly, so let's just be briefly reminded of the end of James 3. He's like, hey, hey, there's a massive battle uh, for the wisdom from above, godly wisdom, wisdom that is pure and open to reason, and is peaceable, and the wisdom is of the world, of the earth, of Satan, the false wisdom uh, from below. That's the contrast. There's, there's, there's this great battle going on. We learn in James 3 that false wisdom is to, really defined by two sins, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Wow. Those are the things Satan wants to do to ruin us and to, and to fill us with foolishness in our lives. So there's this, there's this great war going on for the passions of our heart. Again, what we must be aware of, church, you have to know this. Here, Overflow, whoever's listening right now, Orangeville, bless you, okay? You've got to be aware that every day we're at war. Every day there's a war for our hearts. There's a war for the passions, again, that lie within. Every day this goes on. Just because you're filled with the Spirit yesterday, it doesn't mean you're going to be filled with the Spirit today. I wish that were so. It's not. Every day there's a fight over your mind and heart and passions and affections and will uh, of your lives. That's what James wants us to see. He's like, listen, man, the reason this is happening is because there's a war going within you. And you must be aware of this war. Now what happens is when we start to lose this war of our flesh and, again, of Satan, then what happens in our lives is we lose this war. All hell breaks out upon our lives. And by the way, that's literally... Hell breaks out upon our lives when we lose this war in bitterness, in selfishness, in jealousy, in false ambition or selfish ambition, in greed, in lust. Hell, the, the, the product of hell starts to seep into our lives. It's Satan's ways. That's why this war is so serious. And it shows itself in quarrels and fights. It shows itself in bitterness and hatred and jealousy. It, it manifests itself through misery and division of relationships within us and, and, and in some sense relational division of us and the Holy Spirit or God in our lives uh, as well. Now what I'm saying right there, those are the, the fruits or the, the signs of the war, fights and quarrels in James 1. That's the sign, but notice James is like, but what's the root? See in verse one, he's like, what causes, twice he says that, what causes quarrels, what causes fights um, among you? This, that's such an important biblical counseling, discipleship, um, again, identification, okay? If we just focus on the superficial fruits in our lives, if we just focus on anger and just focus on greed and just focus on bitterness and just focus on selfishness, right? Those things, and you look at the fruit, if you don't get to the root, you'll never change the fruit. Like, here's the question, why am I so angry? Why am I so bitter? Why am I so envious? Why am I so selfish all the time, right? The, those questions go to the cause of the sin, the root that produces the fruit. Change the root, change the fruit. Don't change the root, the fruit never changes. 
That's why many people, they, they live with the same symptoms year after year, decade after decade. There's no actual transformation because they never expose the root of why this is actually, why the anger, why the envy. And that's what we get to do today. By the help of God's word, we're gonna get to the root. Like, and that's why it's gonna hurt a little bit. It's one thing to kind of like, you know, pluck off the, Weed at the top, but to get to the root underneath is dandelion season, by the way. How did I not mention this last service? Man, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? Wake up, Simons, right? But it's one thing to take the lawnmower across the lawn and cut off the top of the dandelion. It's another thing to go underneath and to get a chemical or whatever it might be and underneath physically get the root out. It's the only way you change it. And this is what the word of God is doing for us today as well. He wants to, Holy Spirit wants to really expose some roots that we might see the transformation of fruit within our lives. But notice the cause here. He says, hey, why are you fighting and quarreling? Here's why. Because your passions, here's the root. Your passions are at war within you. Interesting, the word passions in the original, it's the Greek word hedone. It's where we get our English word for hedonism. In James's day, it described an intense pleasure or enjoyment our strong fleshly appetites. More and more, again, as history went along, and, and especially in the Greek language, it was referring to a, a lust after pleasure, and it was implying sinful sexual desire. So really, what's behind passions here is, is really the, the lust of pleasure. There was a great lust of pleasure among the people James is writing to. And what's behind the lust of pleasure, though? Behind the lust of pleasure, I want pleasure. Why? Because I worship self. See, that's the root of the root. It's the love of self where I deserve, I desire, I will get at all costs what will satisfy me in the lushly appetites of my flesh. So what I want us to see here too is James is addressing a people. This is another one of the baseline fundamental roots here. He's addressing a people who fundamentally could not be content. Um, they always needed more. They always desired more stuff, more money, more attention, more prestige. They were unsatisfied with where they were. So they lusted after pleasure. They desired prominence. They lusted after power, okay? Now, here's the thing. Here's one of the massive insights right here. Because their, their passions were so powerful within them, because they wanted certain passions so much, they despised or hated anyone that was in the way of achieving their passions that they lusted after. They began to mistreat or hate people who stood in the way of what they thought, again, was their greatest desire or passion. So what they were really saying, and James is explaining, is that when people are full of, again, at war of passions in their heart, they say, you are in the way of what I desire, therefore you are the object of my scorn. I'll pause there and I want you to think about that a little bit, because that's getting a little deeper than the average message right there. Why the fighting? Why the quarreling? Why the enmity? Why the jealousy? Why the hostility? Why the conflict? Why the rage? Why the outbursts? Why the competition? Because at the end of the day, you are standing in the way of what I want. Therefore, you are the problem. You are the source of my attack. 
It's revealing. It's needed. It's, it's, it's important. So look at verse 2. Verse 2 now he says, You desire and do not have, so you murder. Wow. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Now notice here their desire, right? Their, 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 their lusts for their passions are so strong that it led, it says, to the murder of others. Wow, 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 wow. Now, is that literally true? We don't know. Could have been. Unlikely, but it could have been. There's situations James could have been referencing situations, people so upset with others of what they had, they were brought to murder. Cain and Abel, it happened. Unlikely possible, though, but we know this. Just like Jesus taught, right? Jesus taught that anger, hatred, jealousy, and the such, if it grows within us, right? The sin of anger is so powerful that if it's left to grow unchecked, unrepented of, it will go all the way to murder. If anger grows into the vicious weed that it is, it will go all the way, full out hatred, and in the end, murder. Again, that's Cain and Abel. Jealousy, hatred, murder. So Jesus taught the significance of anger and hatred within our hearts in this way. Verse 2 also explains, it goes on like the second half, it says, what we covet, when we covet what someone else has, and we can't have it, then we despise them. We fight with them because they have what we want, but we can't have, again, what they have. And so it makes us uh, mistreat and despise. So, so interesting, isn't it? Again, Holy Spirit's doing a lot of work right now. Okay, that's just, that's just what he does. I'm going to just try to give some examples to let the Holy Spirit do more work in our hearts. Okay, so uh, your neighbor across the street has, has a nicer car than you, like a, a much nicer car. Maybe it's the car you always wanted. Another neighbor just did a really nice renovation to their kitchen, and you've really wanted to do that for a long time. But you can't do that. You can't get that car. You cannot renovate your house the way that they did. And so you begin, because you can't have what they want, you begin to resent them. And because you're filled with resentment and that's not checked, then you despise them. In fact, it might come to the point where, again, because you despise them, you begin to mistreat them. You shun them. You distance from them. You gossip about them in certain ways. That, that's what James is talking about here. You desire. The passions of your heart lead your life, lead our lives. And because we can't have what we think we want, then we despise those who do because that's our idol. That's our goal. Christ is not. The stuff is. So we start to hate people around us who have the things we think we want. How about another person in church is given a position of leadership that you craved? Like, I should have had that position. You wanted it. You can't have it. So you begin to resent, mistreat, and even hate the person who got the leadership position that you didn't get. Fascinating. What we do is we begin to gossip about the person and try to kind of take down their character because we start to make up stuff or come at things to try to discredit them. But behind that, it's just, it's just a jealousy and a coveting of what they have we don't have. Same thing can happen on the stage. All the, all the history of churches and just singers and stuff like that. Why does she get to sing? I don't get to sing. She got, she got, she got to sing. I, I hate her now. You would never say that publicly, but inside, that's what's happening. Because she has what you don't. And that infuriates us. I mean, it just, it just, just pulling at the root a little bit here, or a lot. Someone else is promoted at work. And you're like, I've been here longer. 
I've worked harder. Why did that person get the position? And because they get it and they have what you don't have, then you begin to resent and begin to, if you're not careful, hate. And then you begin to try to discredit and gossip's the big key of all that stuff and goes around dismantling people. How about the husband and wife that are at odds in their home? And the wife wants a major upgrade to the house. The husband hates debt. Maybe he's a little tight. Tension starts to grow. The budget surely is tight and fights begin to ensue. And the tension gets even more. And what's happened there is worldliness has begun to destroy the home. See, it's really, it's really important to step back and say what's, what's actually happening here. Um, last example, there's maybe another family here in the church and the other family seems to have things going well for them, spiritually speaking. Their kids seem to be doing well in the Lord. Yours are not doing well. And you resent that fact and you're jealous over the fact that they have what you do that you don't have. And so because of that, um, you resent them and because you covet so much what they have or whatever it might be, uh, then you start to mistreat them, you distance yourself from them, and then you start to gossip about them indirectly and trying other people to feel the way you do. It's not really, again, that they've done anything to you at all. It's just the fact that they have what you want. See, that, this is what the Bible is teaching us today. Why do you fight and quarrel? It's because there's passions at war within you. In many cases, nothing to do with the actual other person. It just has to do with what's happening in your own, in your own heart in my heart, right? Like that's what the Bible's teaching us right now, right? And so like wisdom, right? Wisdom says, um, I don't like the fruit of anger and jealousy and fighting and quarreling and conflict and envy and bitterness and, and just destruction. I don't like that. And the Holy Spirit's like, well, then you need to change what's inside, right? You need to be dealing with the root to get at the fruit. Uh, and it's, first step is recognizing the passions that are at war with, with, within us. So notice James's answer at the end of verse two. He says, uh, you do not have because you do not ask, right? So his answer is, hey, prayer, prayer, yes. That's awesome. You're not praying about it. I'm asking for the things of the Lord. Oh, by the way, just did you know that there's a prayer meeting this Wednesday at 7 p.m.? Did you know that? Just wanted to make sure you understood that. I mean, I love, I love our prayer meeting. So simple, so beautiful, so sincere. I just love it. Wednesday 7, please come, please come, please come, please come. Um, hundreds gather, just, it's so sweet. Anyways, so James is like, hey, the answer is prayer. But he, and he says this, but listen, but listen, but then when you do pray, you ask for the things that are contrary to the will of God. He's like, when you ask, you don't receive from God what you want because you're asking wrongly to spend on the very passions of your heart that are killing you in the first place. He's like, hey, well, when you pray, you're praying, God, bless my lusts. And God's like, I'm not going to do that. God, I want you to come and give me more of that, which is ruining my marriage. And God's like, mm, I don't think so. Right? We have to be aware of what's going on. God, I want you to answer my prayers so I can have more in my life that is poisoning my heart and ruining my relationship with you. And the Holy Spirit's like, nah, we don't really do that. We're, we're more into like godliness and real transformation in Christ. We're more like less of you and more of me, God says. Right? We're, we're more of like die to self and, and take up your cross. We're more of like blessings of joy and life through the Spirit. We're not, not, we're not into blessing people with materialism and a passionate lust of the flesh so that you can ruin again your heart and life. James is like, but you're asking, but you're not receiving because you're actually asking God to subsidize your lustful addictions. Wow. Again, I think, I think for some of us here today, it's, just, it's really important for us just to be like, do I do that? 
Like to be aware, I'm actually asking God to bless my lustful addictions. What is that? Well, in a sense, that's blasphemous. Right? And, and, and James is, he's just a sh- straight shooter here. And he's like, yeah, that, that's not gonna, that's not gonna happen. So, Again, I, I need us to pause for a second here to see what James or the Holy Spirit is saying because it's just, it's just so massive, okay? And this is where, again, hopefully light bulb moments, the Lord can, can use this. One of the greatest reasons for our fighting, our quarreling, our resenting, and our hating, fundamentally, church, fundamentally, because we can't be content. I want you to think about that. I'm not in a rush right now. I just think this is so root-esque that if we let the Holy Spirit do some surgery, man, our lives can honestly change. The reason for our fighting, quarreling, hating, and conflict many of the times is we are not content and satisfied in Christ, in the gospel, in the Lord himself. Our constant lust for more and our refusal to be satisfied is, is more than not the cause of our covetousness, our cursing, and our conflict. Right? Do you see at the end of verse of chapter three, verse eighteen? If you look there again, part of our context, he's talking about a harvest of righteousness sown by peace, by peace, by peace. How much peace do we forfeit with our lack of contentment again within our lives? So this is this is a powerful opportunity right now. You and I, and you and I, right now. And by the way, by the way, I just want to make sure you guys all know this. I have to spend 15, 20 hours in this text in preparation before I get to this point here right now, okay? So I'm getting decimated by the Holy Spirit all week long, okay? Now, I love that. Like, personally, we all receive these differently. I love to be ripped to shreds by the Holy Spirit because I need it and he loves me. Like, I know he loves me. I don't feel condemned. The enemy tries to do that, but the Holy Spirit doesn't. I love it. Like, I love messages like this personally because I just, God, give it to me straight. I need to know. But he's so gracious, and we'll see that in a bit too. He's so gracious with his love as well. But you'll never see God's grace fully until you recognize how much he's given it to you and the reality of how we treat him or things are happening within our lives. So this moment right now, here's the opportunity. You and I have the chance right now to look at the areas of our lives that we lust after, the passions at war, and what's so powerful, sometimes I like to do this out loud, you can look at the item, you can look at the object, you can look at the money, you can look at the desired, whatever it might be, and you can just stare that worldliness in the face and be like, you're empty. You have no value in eternity you will never satisfy. Like, what do you need to look at right now and just say from your heart and just say, that thing I'm going after, even if I get it, it'll never work. It'll never work. And there might be a moment of pleasure and then it's gone, just like that. When you get what you want in the world, the car, the house, the promotion, the paycheck, the vacation, the sec, whatever it is, whatever it is, you can get it, it will not work. You stare to the face and in Jesus' name, man, you're a lie. In Jesus' name, I rebuke you. It's not going to work. It's so powerful to look at the world in the face. It doesn't matter if I get untamed followers and this and whatever. It doesn't matter. It's never going to satisfy anyways. It's all a lie. Jesus Christ is satisfaction. Jesus Christ is glory. Jesus Christ is my sufficiency. Jesus Christ is my eternity. It is so, I just love saying it right now. It's so powerful and awesome to stare these things in the face and be like, you lie. And you're like I, don't, like, I don't care. I don't need you. It doesn't matter. There is no value in that. And you convince yourself to be like, what am I worried about? That's discipleship. 
That's wisdom. That's wisdom right now. I know the world we live in. It's the same one you live in. We are idolatrous to the max. This society worships. Anyways, I don't have to tell you. It is just craziness. And we're no exception to that. And yet we're supposed to be completely different and set apart from that. This is the battle we face every day. James knows it. And it's just like, this was written, you know what, 1950 years ago. And here we are today. It's like, wow, man, the Lord knows. So the first step is to recognize the war within. Number two is this. I must repent now of my idolatry of the world. I told you a little hard hitting at the beginning and then we'll move in a bit. So but look at verse four, right? I'm just saying what the word says. He says, you adulterous people, exclamation mark. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of, of God. So James wastes no time in exposing another major root. He's like, you adulterous people, um, adultery against God, adultery or idolatry, right? Like the fruit of idolatry is adultery. Uh, why is idolatry such a big deal? Here's why, ready? Have you thought about this? Idolatry exposes that we say to God, God, you are not enough. God, you are not satisfying. And because I don't find you satisfying, I'm going to cheat on you. I'm going to commit adultery against you, God. So idolatry and covetousness are declaring to God, this is important too, when we are filled with idolatry and covetousness, wanting other, other people to have, we are saying, God, you are not good. You are not enough. You are not good, God. Because if you were, then I wouldn't feel this way. And you are not faithful to me because you have not given me the things I think I deserve or I need. Again, whether you realize it, whether I realize it, when we are filled with idolatry and covetousness, we are saying those things to God. You are not enough. You are not good. And you are unfaithful to me. I hope we don't want to say that. But that's what adultery ultimately says, right? Spiritual adultery, interestingly, was the like, number one sin in the Old Testament. This was the battle for the hearts of the Israelites. Right? God rescued them. He did everything for them. And then they went off and pursued idols. They made the golden calves. And they were communicating, you are not enough, Lord. We want the world that is around us. So what James says here in verse 4, he's like, hey, listen, if that's your heart, you can't be a friend of the world and a true friend of God at the same time. Okay? You can't be a friend of the world. It's, it's one or the other. Now, to be clear, he's not saying, like, hate the world as in everything in the world because God made the world. He's talking about the system of the world. The prince of the power of the air, Satan, uh, overseeing the world, like lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. He's like, you can't be a friend of the world and friend of God because if you're saved in Christ, if you're alive in Jesus Christ today, right now, by grace through faith, then you are married to Christ. Christ, again, is the bridegroom. We are the bride. We are married to Christ. Warren Rearsby says then adultery is, I'm married to Christ, but my lover is the world. That's helpful because that's like, whoa, that's, that's, that's wrong. I'm married to Christ, but I love the world. That's adultery. John Piper takes it a step further. This is, this is, this is hard hitting, but I think it's, it's worthy. He says, this is combining point one into the prayer piece and then the verse we're on right now. And what's worse, he says, when we go to our heavenly husband and actually pray for the resources with which to commit adultery with the world, it's a very wicked thing. He says, it's as though we would ask our husband for money to hire male prostitutes to provide the pleasure we don't find in him. Wow. 
But like, that's good for us to think on because that's what worldliness ultimately is doing. God, I want you to bless me with what I want so that I can go cheat on you because you ultimately are not enough for me. I, I don't want to be in that place. I don't want to be in that camp. I, 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 that, that's kind of terrifying. And that's why this is serious, but this is, but this is why there's such opportunity here as well. You know, worldliness seeks to do that to us, right? This is, this is what's happening. Maybe just quickly here, what are some warning signs of worldliness in our lives? Some warning signs of worldliness, just a quick little checklist. Warning signs of worldliness, there's a lack of intimacy with God. There's a lack of love for God. Um, there's not a vibrant affection. There's not a, a real worship of the Lord, you know, over a long period of time. It's a sign of worldliness. There's, um, this, this is a big one. There's, there's a lack of generosity or giving towards the kingdom of God. See, one of the ways we know that worldliness has really crept in is we're very stingy when it comes to the things of the Lord. Generosity with our resources and money, generosity with our time, generosity with our, our giftedness, our serving. And worldliness has crept in and we're like, yeah, I don't want to do that because I'd rather just go serve myself. Um, a sign of worldliness is there's a growing compromise of your morals especially when pressured, right? A lot of pressure in our day, a lot of pressure coming in from our world against believers. And when we start to compromise on our morals, that's the sense the world has crept in and is getting us to be aligned with its system. Another sign of worldliness is there's a real reluctance to give up sin. So you know that worldliness is creeping in when there's just flat if, you, if you're honest, you probably won't say this out loud, but in your heart you're like, yeah, I don't want to give that up. I just really like the way it makes me feel. In fact, I love the feeling of that pleasure. It gives me more than I love Christ in that sense. That's a, that's a real dangerous sign that worldliness has, has crept in. Worldliness obviously is defined by materialism. Uh, when our, our goals, our desires, our passions are for stuff or for material objects around us. Um, it, this, is, this is good. A sign of, of, of worldliness creeping in. There's a lack of spiritual influence in our lives. So there's not much happening around our lives spiritually speaking, and the influence of others. Because how can there be if worldliness has crept in and the Holy Spirit is kind of muted and, and, and quenched and then there's just no real contagious conviction for the things of Christ in our families or children or friends or church or whatever it might be. Um, a sign of worldliness has crept in that our speech is more about the world than it is about Christ. Uh, the things we talk about, the things we think about, the things we engage in discussion, they're, much, they're just based on worldly things as opposed to the things of Christ. Maybe two more. Um, a sign of worldliness in our lives is that our closest relationships draw us away from Christ as opposed to bring us to Christ. Our closest relationships draw us to the world as opposed to draw us to the center with Jesus Christ. And the last one, warning signs of worldliness, where... I experience great anxiety and stress over worldly pursuits. When things start to go wrong, I start to seize up. That's a sign that the world has got too much of our heart because we're holding on way too tight to the things that don't last and don't, and don't matter. So when all these things happen, we've got to repent. We've got to repent of the idolatry that the world has crept in so we can then return to the Lord, the one who actually satisfies. And this is the part of the message. We do transition a little bit here. And we transition, now we have the truth, and now we start to see the truth and the grace kind of come together. So I must repent of the idolatry of the world. Number three, how to fight against worldliness. I must remember that God is jealous for my love. 
I must remember that God is jealous for my love. So look at verse 5 now. What a verse this is. Or do you suppose there's no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Right? So verse 5, well, commentators do debate on the translation interpretation of verse 5. I, I love the ESV. That's my translation. I love the ESV. I think it's spot on here, particularly with our context, right? Because in verse 4, we just talked about uh, committing adultery against God, right? And then now he's like, hey, God is jealous for the love of his bride. Now, any husband worth his salt, any husband worth his salt will have a proper and holy jealousy for the love of his wife. There'll be a sense of a, a strong desire for the love of his wife and in return, that's what a good marriage does. How much more will God then have a holy jealousy for the love, affection, and the spirits within his children? I love that so much, right? I've loved this verse because it says that God loves us and pursues us. He's jealous for us, okay? And, and, and God's jealousy is never sinful. Our jealousy is often sinful, almost always sinful, right? But God's jealousy is never sinful. Why? Because if we are God's children, he has purchased us by the blood of his son, and if he has purchased us, then God owns us. When you're jealous, longing for something that belongs to you, that's not sinful, that is your right. We as genuine believers in Jesus Christ, God has purchased us. He owns all of us. He rightly deserves all our love in soul and mind and strength, heart, all the love that comes from our lives. He righteously deserves that. He owns us in that sense. So when God is jealous for our love, that is such a beautiful understanding and such a great comfort for us as well. He is 100% righteous in his jealousy for our affection. You know what I love about this too is that like right now, in this message, right now you were here today, we are living out the reality, God is jealous for your affection, your love and the spirit he's made to dwell within you. So right now, this is what I want you to be aware of. This is another one of these moments right now. In this moment, through this passage, James 4, 1 to 6, God is proving that he is jealous for your love. Why? Because he loves you. Why does he expose your sin today? Because he loves you. Why does he bring conviction, not condemnation today? Because he loves you. Why does he show to you the root of sin that's ruining your affection for him? Because he loves you. If he didn't love you, he wouldn't show you. But because he loves you, why does he woo you back to himself right now? He says to you right now, he says, I want you back. You've strayed, you've wandered, you've cheated. He says, I want you back. I want you back. I want you back in my presence. I want you back in joy. I want you back in satisfaction. I want you back with me with meaning and purpose and fruitfulness and blessing and healing. He says, I want you back. You're like, why would he do that? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. Why is this message being preached to you today? Because he loves you. Why does he not let you just stray and go to the ditch never to be heard from again? Because he loves you. Why does he not give up on you? Because he loves you. Why does he promise to drench you with grace? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. Why does he tell me the truth? Because he loves you. He loves you. If he didn't love you, he'd let you wallow in your sin for the rest of your life. He'd just let us go and be disasters, completely devastated in our own false wisdom and the ways of the world, but he does love us. So he comes after us. He pursues us right to the end, the darkest places, and calls us back to himself. That's what's happening right now today. The love of God hunting you down in that sense to bring you back to where peace and joy and true fruit is actually known. 
the love of God here and, and overflow in Orangeville and beyond right today, right now through this message. Loving you because he won't let you stray. Amen. He loves you. He loves you so much. Again, you know, um, I want you to know this too, that like you're like, man, I've, I've really strayed. Yeah, yeah, I, I know. Um, I've really messed up. Yeah, I know. Um, I've, I've, I've cheated on God. I, yeah, I know. But God's like, my grace is more. My grace is more. And that's actually an awesome lead into our last point here briefly. Point number four, if I'm going to fight against worldliness, I must respond in humility. Listen carefully. That ushers in God's grace. I must respond in, in humility. Look at, look at verse six. Eh? Look at the, see, it's so hard hitting, but here we go. Verse six, but he gives more grace. That was a great spot for an amen, church. Amen. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give you one more try, okay? Okay, all right. Verse six says in the beginning, but he gives more grace. Amen. amen. And just, just, just look, look at that. But he gives more grace. He gives more grace. Nothing can exhaust the grace of God. Nothing will limit the grace of God. No one can outrun the grace of God. You're like, I've sinned, more grace. I've failed, more grace. I've messed up more grace. I've cheated more grace, more grace. But he gives more grace. How much grace? More, more. I don't deserve it, more. I think he has, no, more, more grace. This much, more, more grace. But he gives more grace. Now, the only caveat to this is notice who he gives the grace to. Look at verse six. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Okay, so let's just, let's just unpack that for a second. The prodigal son. Father, I want my inheritance. I want it now. I'm going to spend it all on my lustful, fleshly appetites, prostitutes, and the whole shebang. I'm taking it all. Let me go. Prodigal son does that. Prodigal son returns. And the father says, you had your chance. Get out of here. Nope. Father opens his arms and runs runs to his son to embrace him in his return back to the safety and the blessing and joy of the home. What was the key there? The father's always waiting. Arms open, there's more grace. However, however, the son needed to return. In humility, in brokenness, in contrition, and yes, humiliation, the son made the step and humbled himself to receive the grace and love of his father. Brokenness is irresistible to the heart of God. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. The sacrifices of God are broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Blessed are the poor in spirit, bankrupt spiritually, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, mourn over sin, for they shall be comforted. God loves the lowly and despised. It's the sinful woman in the gospels who's wiping uh, her tears and with her hair on the feet of Jesus Christ in an utter display of humiliation and brokenness. And Jesus says what this woman has done to Today will be proclaimed throughout the whole world wherever the gospel is preached. He didn't say that about any other situation than that one right there. That's how much he loves brokenness. He is absolutely, irresistibly attracted to the broken and contrite spirit. Isaiah 66 verse 2, but this is the one to whom I will look. He who is broken, contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. 
I look to that person. He loves those who are broken. But listen, listen, listen. He opposes the proud. Because the proud say, I don't need God. Proud like, whatever, God. In your face, God. Whatever. I don't need anything of like that. The proud are like, I'm God. Proud like, I don't have sin. I don't got issues. I have nothing to change. The proud are like, no, 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 I'm going to fix it. The proud are like, whatever, whatever, Jesus, whatever, Holy Spirit, whatever, church. The proud are like, no, 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 I'm doing this all on my own. God's like, all right, good luck. He opposes the proud to their destruction. He graces the humble. So a very, we, we've taught something in our church, and I'll end with this. We've taught something in our church over the many, many years, basically from the beginning. It's a very complicated theological sentence. So I need you to really listen carefully because there's some big words in here. But it's on the aspect of pride and humility. So here's the complex theological sentence we've taught for all these years. It's this. It's pride is dumb. <laughs> I know it's, it's quite profound. And it is, because theologically speaking, right, pride in our lives never wins, ever. So pride is theological stupidity. Every day, we've taught this over the years too, every day you have two doors from which you can choose to walk through. Every day you'll have many choices today, the door of pride and the door of humility. You'll have the choice several times today, what you say, what you act, what you think about. The door of pride, God says you can walk through that door. As we're growing in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit stops us. He doesn't force us one way or the other. But the Holy Spirit stops us. Whoa, 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 Robbie, that door you're about to walk through, that's pride. You can do it, you will lose. Every single time, you will lose. No, 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 Lord, I think I'm going to win this time. No, no, you'll lose, you'll lose. No, no, but I feel better about myself when I do this. Yeah, 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 but you'll lose. But I'll win, but you'll lose. You can, you can do it, but you'll lose. And he's like, but there's the door of humility over here, and you'll win every single time. But Lord, but I gotta, I gotta become less. Yeah, but you'll win. But Lord, then they'll think they're right. Yeah, but you'll win with me. But Lord, that's kind of humbling. Yeah, that's the point. You win. But Lord, that means I trust in you fully. Yes, son, you win. But that's harder, Lord. The door of humility is so much harder. Yeah. But you win every single time. Right now, in this message today, this is the amazing part for me. There are two doors represented right now today. There are two doors. There's the big door of pride. You can choose to hear this message on worldliness and the conviction of sin and idolatry, and you can be like, whatever. I'll listen to that. I'm a sinner. You can choose to walk in pride to our own ruin. Or there's this big door today of humility being presented, and Jesus is like, walk through this door in repentance and surrender and trust and faith and humility and brokenness and you will receive and be blessed by the drenching grace of God and you will know a joy and a fruitfulness that maybe you've never encountered before. Those are the options today and wisdom will decide where we go. Wisdom will decide which door we walk through. Do we trust ourselves and the world or do we trust in Christ and his word? really does come down to that. Um, by way of recap, our outline today, I think this is one of those messages that's very, very important. How to fight against worldliness. You've got to recognize the war. Repent of idolatry. Whatever's been brought up, remember, God is jealous for my love. And my response is humility because that's what ushers in the grace of God. Let's pray, church. Let's pray. Father, your word is um, mind-blowing to me. It just meets us exactly where we are. It's just... It's just, you're awesome. You're just awesome. 
Um, Lord, I personally, I, I, need, I need truths like this a lot. And um, I don't feel condemned today at all, Lord, or, or this week. I feel loved. I, I do feel convicted, and there's things I want to change, but I'm excited. I'm excited to believe in you more. I'm excited to trust you more. I'm excited to lose that I might win. I'm excited to say, I'm not going to go with the world. I'm excited to believe your ways are right. I'm excited, Lord, to see less of my sin and more of Jesus Christ. I'm just, I'm so excited to say, yes, I trust in the Lord. I don't trust in the world. I'm excited to stare down objects of this world and be like, you're a lie. You're a lie. You don't satisfy. You're nothing. I'm excited to do that. I love it. I love staring the face of Satan's deception and be like, you are a liar and you do not satisfy. I'm so excited today, Lord, to say Christ, Christ is treasure. Christ is sufficiency. Christ is satisfaction. Jesus Christ is enough. He's enough. If all I have is Jesus Christ, there's nothing else I need. I'm excited to say these things today because I know with all my being in my heart, it's all true. And I pray many men and women are with me to say the same thing. God, it's not easy, but we are excited and expectant for the fruit of the lives that trust in you, not the world, not ourselves, and certainly not in Satan. So may it be so. May it be so today. I just pray there be a wonderful, loud response of volume and passion for Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.